Amen, amen. Y'all have to say, there are few things uh, better than not just baptizing somebody to start a service, but baptizing someone and then being in the back of the baptistry trying to change and just hearing y'all's voices uh, from the back of the baptistry. I, I just want to thank y'all so much for singing out and worshiping the Lord this morning. I hope that uh, if you're a visitor with us, I hope that you see that we are a church that wants to sing, wants to praise God through music, through His Word, through prayer, and excited to get to do that with y'all this morning. I know there's a good bit of people that are out uh, for spring break right now, which had me thinking about uh, a, a trip that Emily and I took last year. Last year, we got to go at one point to uh, Mexico to an all-inclusive resort. Now, something that I'd heard of my whole life, this idea of all-inclusive, uh, I thought that that pretty much you know, consisted of my mom's kitchen growing up, and that was about the all-inclusive I got, and it was pretty much what you see is what you get. But we got to go to a trip to Mexico, and it was really neat. It's pretty much what they say it is, right? Like if you go to an all-inclusive place, once you get there and enter inside of the resort, it's all yours, right? Like pretty much you can eat what you want, you can go what you want, you can do what you want. And the purpose of an all-inclusive resort is so that you don't have to leave, right? If you go to a good one, you're there to stay. You can almost think of it in some ways like a really good cruise. It's all-inclusive. You get there, you stay, I'm going to be talking about something very similar to that this morning. The title of the sermon is Enter and Abide. Enter and Abide, or Enter and Remain, or Stay. And what we're going to be looking at this morning is about how to enter into a relationship with God, but then also what it looks like when you enter a relationship with God, how it looks a lot like this, Enter and Abide. If you haven't been with us, we've been walking through the book of John, and where we're at this morning is John chapter 10. If you would turn with me to John chapter 10, as we've been walking through uh, this, we'll be finishing up the end of May through chapter 12. Um, but what we're going to see this morning is something a little bit different. Jesus uses an analogy to teach people something about himself. And this is an analogy, one of the favorite, if not the favorite analogy that God uses of himself, of people, in regards to salvation, in regards to him. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it all over the Bible. He's going to use this analogy to show us something about him and about ourselves. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the first half of John chapter 10. I want to ask a few questions as we walk through to understand what is Jesus saying, what's he talking about. And then we're going to end with two primary application questions for you and for me. And if you know me, one of those has a few sub points along with it as well. So let me pray for us and then we're going to jump in this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we are here this morning because of you. Regardless of what brought us into this room, Lord, we're here because you want us to be here. And so, Father, I pray as we open your word, help us recognize that anytime it is open, it is you who is speaking. And Father, my prayer this morning is please put your words in my mouth. Lord, keep my words out of yours. Send your spirit amongst us. Lord, and may we be convicted by your word and convicted to action. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in your precious and your holy son's name. Amen. Amen. So before we just jump into verse 1, I want to kind of give you an idea. If you weren't here last week or the last few weeks, we... We finished John chapter 9 last week, big shocker since we're in John 10 now, but John chapter 9 last week, and this is a story about a blind man. And it's this, this man who's been blind from birth. Jesus is walking, and he and his disciples see this blind man, and Jesus ends up healing the blind man. Well, you'd think the people around him would be excited for him, but instead, they're not. They 
at first say, okay, you must not be who we think you are. There must be another lookalike. Well, then if they realize who he is, they bring him to the religious leaders to see what they have to say about this miracle. They don't know what to say or how to explain it. And the religious leaders question him and then try and accuse him of lying about actually being born blind. And then later on, they try and get him to speak against the person who healed him, who is Jesus. And what we see at the end of that is pretty much Jesus saying, those who think they are blind will be able to see. Those who recognize their blindness will be able to see. But those who think that they see will become blind. And the reason we need to start there is because there is no transition, and it's odd. Remember, John, the way he writes the whole book of John, he's writing to argue a point. And he's put this story along with Jesus' teaching we see in John 10 together with zero transition. And the whole purpose is that you may believe, and by believing may have life in the Son. So I want you to see where he goes in John chapter 10, verse 1. No transition. He just says, truly, truly, which means, listen up. This is the truth. I speak the truth. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So the first question we see Jesus turns to, it's odd. He asks the question, how can you know who the shepherd is? How can you know who is the shepherd of sheep? Once again, no transition. This is very Jesus-like. Just into this. How can you know who the shepherd is? And first thing he says is simple. By how he enters into the sheepfold. It's pretty cut and dry, honestly. You and I know this much. If you go to your house and you see somebody entering through the window in the side with a hammer, you know they're not there for a good reason, Right? If you look at your neighbor's house and somebody is doing that, you know, okay, if you own the house, you're probably going to use the key and go through the front door unless, you know, something else, you, you lose your key or something or lock yourself out. But if somebody enters your house through a, a way that they're not supposed to enter, you know that that person is a thief or a robber. That's essentially all that Jesus says is the shepherd of the sheep is going to enter through the sheepfold. He'll enter the gate into the sheepfold. Seems like fairly common sense, honestly, pretty cut and dry. But look at where he goes next. Verse 3 through 5, he says, To him the gatekeeper opens, to that shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will, follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." So Jesus first says you can know who the shepherd is by where he enters, but secondly, he says, by the relationship he has with the sheep. How can you know who the shepherd is? Well, by the way he enters, but then secondly, by the relationship that he has with the sheep. I want you to notice what he says here. He says the sheep hear his voice, the shepherd's voice. They know his voice, meaning they recognize it, and they follow him. Y'all, this would have been common knowledge for them. It, it, it is very common. I can't remember some of the numbers that I had seen this week, but there are tens of thousands of sheep in Judea during this time. I mean, sheep are everywhere. And so when it, whenever a shepherd had sheep, even if he had a small flock like 30, it would be often for shepherds to lead their flocks to the same area to graze, and you may have multiple flocks grazing together. Now, you think that would be an issue. How do you sort them out? But really, it's actually easy. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Like, they can distinguish his voice or his call or her call if it was a woman shepherd. And so what you would see is even if you were to get this group together, they would separate into different areas and they would just do their call and the sheep would just come to them. And so this seems something that's fairly obvious 
to them. But Jesus is making a point. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They recognize his voice, and they follow him. They know what the shepherd does. The shepherd knows the sheep by name, and he leads them out. You know, the relationship between shepherd and sheep was honestly very intimate. It's funny, like there's a book called The Way of the Shepherd or A Way of the Shepherd, and it's actually really good. If you go and read it, you learn how this guy learned so much about God as his shepherd by being a shepherd and, and grazing and tending to sheep. But one thing about shepherds is they would name their sheep. They would know them so well. They would actually have individual names for them. And I love how one pastor said, he goes, just imagine this is kind of like the seven dwarfs. Like you have dopey, you have sneezy, you have sleepy, you have happy, you have whatever. Well, for the sheep, you might have black ear, spot, fuzzy, plumpy, dinner. No, I'm kidding. You don't have dinner, right? Like you would say that. You'd have different names for each of your sheep. And so like you would distinguish them. You would know them personally. Something else to notice is he says the shepherd will lead them out. Y'all, cattle may be driven, but sheep must be led. There's a very big difference in that. You see, to lead sheep, you don't go probe and prob them. Rather, they hear the voice of the shepherd. He walks, and they follow him. So he just gives, how can you know who the shepherd is? Well, how he enters the sheepfold and his relationship with the sheep. Now, at this point, maybe you're asking the question I'm going to ask next, because this is what I was asking. And I think we should ask, why is Jesus talking about a shepherd, right? The second main question we should just naturally come to is, why is Jesus talking about a shepherd? You just healed a blind man, said, if you think you see, you can't. If you recognize you don't see, you can have sight. And then, boom, let's talk about a shepherd. That really is a good transition. So why is Jesus talking about a shepherd? Well, if you're confused, good news. You're with the crowd that was there. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Once again, what he would be saying would be common knowledge. They would have known, yeah, this is how a sheep and a shepherd interact with each other. So it seems quite random and out of place, but what I want you to see is that it's not by any means, by no means. This is directly connected with John 9, and he's adding to that by going a different direction. So one, remember John chapter 9, he's talking to a man who has been blind or who was blind. He heals him, and he can see. He's talking about sight. Now, I want you to notice here he's talking about sheep hearing a voice. If you hear the shepherd, you'll follow him. He moves from talking about spiritual sight now to hearing. That's the first thing you can notice. But the second thing you should notice, and this is something that jumped out in any commentary that I read, is notice how the shepherd is, interacts with the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep out. He leads out, and they follow him. But I want you to notice what just happened in this last story, John chapter 9, verse 33 and following, the man who had his sight restored is standing before the religious leaders. Just so you know, they were called religious shepherds, the shepherds over God's people. And he says to them, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's saying Jesus has to be a somebody. Now, how do the shepherds treat him? Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. But then verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he went and found him. Friends, the same word for leading out is the antonym for being cast out. So what you see is we move from shepherds, the shepherds of the Jews who were supposed to be their shepherds, they cast people out. Remember, this blind man wasn't even allowed to come into the synagogue. Like, they blackballed him, essentially. But now you see Jesus comes along and he goes and he finds him. He seeks him out. 
not only do we see this, but there's an even more present thing that they should have understood, especially the Jews who knew the word. There was a promised one who would come. There was a promised shepherd who would one day come and lead God's people. And I want you to see this real quick. You don't have to flip over there. I'll tell you about it. But Ezekiel chapter 34 is one of the primary texts where we learn about this prophecy of a future shepherd written 570 years, 550 years, over 500 years before this actually happens. I want you to hear what God says through Ezekiel to his people in verses 1 through 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, to the leaders, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. This is prophesied about about how the shepherds of Israel aren't leading the way they're supposed to. Well, I want you to see if you go down even further in that. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, this is his solution, behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and I myself will seek them out. Y'all, what happened in John chapter 9? The shepherds, the religious leaders, not caring for the poor, not caring for the guy who's blind, casting him out, and what do you see Jesus do? I myself will seek them out. I myself will go to them. Well, that's not it. Verse 15 through 16, God tells him to say, I myself will be the shepherds of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So what God is saying is tell them one day I'm going to send a shepherd, and he's going to make it right. He's going to lead well. He's going to shepherd, feed, take care of, have concern for you. But then what I want you to know is that Whenever God talks to Ezekiel, he's even more specific than that. Verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, it says, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, just so you know, in case you don't know where this is at in in the biblical history, this is hundreds of years after David has already died. You say, what in the world? Why is he saying my servant David? Well, if you remember, David was God's chosen king over Israel. He was God's chosen king over Israel. And he said somebody would one day come from the line of David, and he would be the true king to reign over God's people. And this guy's known as the servant David, his servant David. Especially in Isaiah, you hear him stop saying David so much and just my servant. So basically what he's saying is the future king is also going to be a future shepherd. And what you're seeing Jesus saying is you're looking at him. You're looking at him. Which is why Jesus expounds on the analogy that he's just shared, which leads to the third question. Who is Jesus in this story? And he wants them to see exactly who he is. Who is Jesus in this story? Going back to John chapter 10, beginning with verse 7 and going through 10, Jesus says this. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what is Jesus saying here? He moves from talking about just something they would understand to now saying, I am the gate. Which I have to be honest, that's not what I would have expected him to say. I would have expected I'm the shepherd. But the first thing he says is, I am the gate. Jesus is the door of the sheep. This is one of the seven great I am statements in the book of John. So you could say it this way regarding the Ezekiel passage. Jesus is saying, I am the solution for how the sheep can get back to the shepherd. I am the solution for how the sheep can get back to God. I am the entrance. I am the pathway to be a part of the sheepfold. Verse 7, verse 9, both of them, he says, I am the door. But I want you to notice in verse 9, he even describes what happens to those who enter. If you enter by me, you will be saved. You will go in and out, and you will find pasture land. I want you to notice the fact that he says you will be saved. Friends, if you have sheep that don't have a shepherd, you call them breakfast, lunch, or dinner, whatever you want to call them. Like, pray will kill them. It's just the truth of the matter. I don't know if you've seen a sheep, but they're not the most scarce, or not scarce, that's not the right word, scary, that's a better word, scary, they're not the most fierce, right? Like sheep without a shepherd, they are exposed, they will be killed, they will be eaten by prey. But what Jesus says, if you enter my gate, you will be saved. You see, friends, what, what you learn is that he's talking to people who are dead in their sin, dead in their trespasses. We see Romans talks a lot about this, how the wages of sin is death, and he says, only by entering through me can you escape that death. Enter by me, and you'll be saved. Then he says, you will go in and out, and will find pasture land. Notice he doesn't just call them into himself just to come into the sheepfold, but he says, I will be with you both in, and I will lead you out. Think of it this way, not just in to a church, but abiding in Christ both in here and out in the world. It's this idea, I am with you. I will be with you. You will find pasture land. You will be a part of the flock, and I will lead you, and you will follow me. In other words, sheep enter, and they abide with the shepherd, which is a grand contrast. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 is kind of the culmination of the other guys, so to speak. It says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, if you're like me, most of my life I read this and just heard, you know, the thief is the devil. Well, to be honest, according to the passage, that's not who the thief is. The thief is the false teacher. The thief is the false leader. The thief is the one who tries to get in and lead the sheep, but is a liar, is a deceiver. Now, you can say the chief liar is the devil, absolutely. So in many ways, you can say the thief is him, but the thief that Jesus is talking about is the robbers and thieves, the false teachers, or some of the teachers who are standing right in front of him, if you will. But in verse 8, he says that the sheep do not listen to them. They follow their shepherd. You see, sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. It's what they do. They follow the shepherd. It's what they do. They trust the shepherd. It's what they do. And what does the shepherd do? He says, I came that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Y'all, that word abundantly means super abundant. Now, I looked that up because that's what the Greek translation was, is super abundant. I was like, is that even a real English word? Yes, no hyphen, no anything. Super abundant. I'm like, man, English really is an awful language. Like, we're not very colorful at all, right? Like, super abundant. But that's what it means. You'll go in and out. You'll find pasture. If you come to him, you will have life and you'll have it abundantly. I love the way D.A. Carson says it. 
He goes, the sheep of this shepherd will be fat, content, and flourishing sheep, not terrorized by gangs or ambushes. This abundance that God brings to them, Jesus offers is a spiritual abundance that transcends circumstances, like your income, your health, your living condition, even death itself. No, the abundant life never ends. And yet here's the key. He says whenever you enter, you begin experiencing that now. Friends, hear me. This isn't a bad question. Where are you going to go after you die? That is not a bad question. But it makes people think that life with Jesus really doesn't begin till after death, and that's not true. Life with Jesus, abundant life, begins when you enter through Christ, when you place your faith in him. Whenever you believe in Jesus, whenever you repent of doing life your own way and believe in Christ, you enter through Jesus, that's when the abundant life begins. That's why John 17, 3, Jesus says this is eternal life, that you know the Father and him whom he has sent. In other words, eternal life is not about where you go, it's about who you know, right? It's about knowing Jesus. Love the way Chuck Swindoll says, abundant life includes peace and purpose and destiny in this life, a genuine purpose for living in this life, the joy of facing adversity, even grave, even the grave and death itself without fear. It's the ability to endure hardship with confident assurance that you are not alone. The shepherd is with you. So who is Jesus? First, we see he says clearly, I am the door. Which if you're the listeners, they have to be thinking, okay, if you're the door, then who is the shepherd? Which Jesus goes to next. Look at verse 11 through 13. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Not just the shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So first we see Jesus says, I am the gate. Secondly, clear as day, we see that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the gate, he is the entrance, but Jesus also is the good shepherd. So think about this. In other words, Jesus doesn't say, he's he's saying very clearly, I'm not just the way into the family of God. I am the focus of it. I'm not just the way into having a relationship with God. Rather, I'm the one to whom you are called to listen, obey, and follow. means you enter by me and then you abide with me. This is what he is saying. I am the good shepherd. He's the loving shepherd who knows the sheep. He's the one whose voice they hear. He's the one who knows them by name and leads them out. And I want you to see what qualifies him to be the the shepherd. Look again at verse 11, and he says it again five different times. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Five times in four different verses. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, which is in juxtaposition to the hired hand or the robber or the thief. If a wolf comes, they run, but the good shepherd lays down his life. Y'all think that for some reason, we often think of shepherds as being puny or weak. Like it's just the easy job, right? Maybe because in Jewish culture, the youngest was the one who did it. Maybe that was it. I don't know. But you notice the shepherds of the Bible, they're pretty weak. Abraham, Moses, David, pretty uh, weak guys, right? David only killed a giant. Oh, before that, killed a bear and a lion. Y'all think about it. Shepherds were strong. 
Shepherds had to be courageous. They had to fear nothing. In other words, whatever came to get the sheep, the shepherd must stand in the way. And the shepherd must always be willing to lay down his life to protect the sheep. Well, that's interesting. I want you to notice what Jesus says, though. He doesn't say, I am willing to lay down my life for the sheep. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In other words, he doesn't say, I am willing to. He says, I do this. I lay down my life for the sheep. Y'all, to understand this, we must recognize this idea of laying down for someone, it's suggesting a replacement, a substitution. In other words, the good shepherd will be the substitution for the sheep. He will die in the place of the sheep. But you would think this really isn't a good thing in many ways. They would have been confused by it. Hear me, y'all. If the shepherd dies, what do you think happens to the sheep? They don't have a shepherd anymore, right? What are sheep without a shepherd? Breakfast, lunch, dinner. We've talked about that, right? So if, if Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep, then that means the sheep now are going to be exposed. But notice where Jesus goes from here. Verse 15 and following. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, meaning that aren't Jewish. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, meaning all the Gentiles. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, all under the good shepherd Jesus. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and don't miss it, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from the Father. And what you see here is he says nobody is taking the good shepherd's life for him. There's no lion big enough or bear big enough to take this good shepherd's life. But this good shepherd is going to actively lay down his life in place of the sheep that he might take it back up again. Now, for them, it would have been hard to understand, but for us, what is Jesus talking about? The resurrection. In two weeks, we're going to talk about this. The truth is, one of the greatest things about our faith is we don't worship a dead guy in a tomb somewhere in the Middle East. We worship him because there's an empty tomb somewhere in the Middle East, right? We worship Jesus not just because he died, but because he rose and defeated sin and defeated death. And this is what he's saying for the sheep. I am the entrance because I've paved the way I am the shepherd to lead you because I'm alive and sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. I am still here. All authority is mine. And what we see in this analogy is a beautiful summation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done for his people. Y'all notice the love he has for his people. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. The Son who has eternally existed with the Father for all eternity says, I know them intimately in the same way I know the Father. There's one thing that's absolutely certain whenever you get to the end of this story. You do cannot question the heart of the good shepherd. He loves the sheep and goes to laying down his life to reach the sheep. Now what you see, verse 19 through 21, is the first half finishes here. There was again a division. Big shocker, right? Among the Jews, because of these words, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Y'all, more division occurs. We see division again. 
But one thing you can't miss is Jesus has laid his cards on the table, and he has not minced words. I am the door. The only entrance to God is through me. I am the good shepherd. In other words, I didn't just die for you to gain entrance. I died for you to follow me. Indeed, that is what sheep do. This was prophesied about, and he says, I'm here to fulfill it. So I would ask you, how do we need to respond to this? What are the applications that we need to gain from this? Once again, I'll give you two questions and plenty of subpoints for the second question. But the first question I would ask you is this, is do you know the shepherd? Have you entered through the gate? Do you know the shepherd? Once again, like I said, this story breaks down the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. Friends, now, in order to understand the good news of Jesus, you must come to terms with the bad news or else you never can get the good news. And the bad news is this, is that all of us are born with hearts that are bent towards ourselves, not bent towards living for God. We all are born with hearts that are bent towards sin. Y'all, sin is missing the mark. It's simply not living the way God has called us to live. And the Bible tells us all of us are sinners. We are born with sinful nature. We go our own way. The issue with this is Isaiah 59, 2 says our sin separates us from God because it places a barrier between us and him. And as long as that barrier is there, there is nothing we can do to get around it, over it, or remove it because it is us who continually puts the barrier there. It is our sin that puts the barrier there. And just like with the sheep, if we die with this separation, and all of us will die one day, if we die with that separation still in place, we will forever spend eternity away from God. Because of our sin, the payment, the cost of sin, Romans 6.23, is death. But then that's where you get to the good news. Because you see, the good shepherd loves us too much to leave us in our sin. The good shepherd loves us too much to leave us exposed to our own sin and our own death. The good shepherd loves us so much, he comes and says, I am the way back to God. I am the way to him. Enter by me. And how can you do it? Only because of me. Because I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. But I lay it down for you, and then I take it back up for you as well. And what he offers us, he says, repent. And turn from your sins and believe in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it quite, quite perfectly. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, he says, if you want to follow me, you must enter through the gate and abide with the shepherd. And so I ask you, have you entered the gate? Do you know the shepherd? Well, friends, just by asking that question, I would tell you, my experience tells me I've met very few people who say they don't know Jesus. I've met very few people who say I'm not a Christian. And so I think the back half is you need to look not at the shepherd at this moment, but look at the sheep and ask this question. Do you smell like sheep? If you say you follow Jesus, if you say you know the shepherd, then here's a simple question. Do you smell like sheep? 
In other words, do the characteristics that obviously Jesus says these sheep will have these characteristics, if you say you know the shepherd, then I would ask you, do you smell like the sheep? We see sheep do several things. One, sheep trust the shepherd. We see this clearly. Sheep trust the shepherd. I would ask you, do you? Do you trust him? Now, you might not know this, but the Middle East is a pretty arid land. It's desert. The only way that sheep could actually eat is to follow the shepherd who knows where to find places for them to graze. You had to have a skilled shepherd who knew where to go, who knew how to provide, who knew where to find water. But you see, sheep follow him. They trust him, and they follow their shepherd. You know, many of you, are, I'm sure, are familiar with Psalm 23. It is indeed, I would say, the most popular psalm. It is a legendary psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You go through that whole thing, and really, David writes this about how God is his shepherd. And if you're going to put one word throughout all of that, it is trust. The sheep trust the shepherd. In the bad times, in the, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because I trust you. You're with me. Right? My head will be anointed with oil. My cup will overflow. I trust you to fill me. I trust you. David in this psalm demonstrates the goodness of the shepherd and the dependence of the sheep. I love the way Paul Miller in his book, The Praying Life, he asked this question. He goes, I want you to imagine if you removed the shepherd from Psalm 23. In other words, remove the shepherd and the effects of the shepherd on the sheep from Psalm 23. And I want to show you what you're left with. And I'll read it for you what he says, and I'll give you my translation. This is what we're left with. Verse 1, you see my, I shall be in want. Verse 2, me, me. Verse 3, my soul, me. Verse 4, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear, me, me. Verse 5, me in the presence of my enemies. My head is not overflowing. My cup, not overflowing. My head's not anointed. My cup's not overflowing. Six, me, all the days of my life, I will dwell. Let me give you my version and tell you what he's trying to say here. Psalm 23, without the shepherd, is this. I am on my own. I must provide for myself. I must lead myself or find someone to lead me. I must find something to restore my soul, to fill me. I will walk through the valley, and when I do, I know I'm going to fear. I'm on my own. No one can truly comfort me. In the presence of my enemies, I am alone. I am bare. I am dry. I just exist all the days of my life. Circumstances determine my station in life. In other words, what you see is Psalm 23 without the shepherd is someone who trusts in themselves, their way, their thoughts, their voices they choose to listen to. A shepherd move, removed from that is a sheep who has no shot. What you see there is David saying, we trust in the shepherd. Now, this is what sheep do. They go to him. They hear his voice. They listen, and they follow him, right? Because they trust him. You'll hear me. The good shepherd is worthy of trusting, right? Hear me. He cares so much that he left heaven to come here to live in this place. You're crazy if you think the world is an awesome spot to be, right? There's evil all over the place. There's all kinds of messed up stuff around us. And what did Jesus do? He didn't just say, I love you. He said, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I'm going to come and I'm going to live it, show you how to live it, die in your place to show you I love you. Do you trust him? 
Do you trust He will provide? Do you trust He will protect? Do you trust He will direct? Romans 8.32 says it this way, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? In other words, if God didn't spare His own Son, why wouldn't we trust Him with every other aspect of our lives? Friends, I would tell you this morning, are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you hurting? Are you in a tough spot? Are you weary? Are you in need? Come to Jesus. Come to him. Trust him. He is worthy to be trusted. Because when you focus on the shepherd, more and more you will learn he is utterly trustworthy all of the time. Sheep trust in the shepherd. The question is, do you? The second point that I would make is that sheep also follow the shepherd. Sheep follow the shepherd. And I would ask you, do you? Do you? Sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow him. It's this simple. It is what they do. When they know their shepherd, they follow him. They listen and they follow The question I would ask you is, do you listen and follow the voice of God? Do you seek his will for your life? Do you seek to know his word that you might obey him? Friends, if we don't care to hear from our shepherd, what does that say about our hearts? If we don't want to follow our shepherd, what does that say about who we are? Sheep listen, they hear, they follow. They stand on the authority of God's word. And y'all hear me, this is ever important in our day because there are thieves, meaning false teachers and robbers, all over the place today. There are voices that are vouching for you to listen to them and live the way they tell you to live. You'll find joy here, satisfaction here, happiness here, and you have to learn to distinguish which voice you need to listen to and which ones you don't. Just this week, I was on Twitter, which is not a great spot to get your theology from, by the way. But what you'll see is that what some people are teaching isn't just damaging, it is damning. And I saw one guy who is called the the TikTok preacher who's put up, somebody reposted him, and he posted him on Twitter, which led me to go look at it. This guy's name is Brandon Robertson. So I went and looked at his page, and pretty much this guy has a large following. And so I go back, and I look at the video, and I watch the video, and because the tagline says, is Jesus the only way to salvation? And I'm like, that's what's called a gimme if you follow Jesus, right? We just read what we read, right? This is what he responds to. God has a massive following. No, Jesus is not the only way to salvation. Then he says, and Jesus never said that. He said, many of you might be referring to John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he goes on to say, what Jesus was really saying was, follow my way, follow my truth, follow my life. He said he wasn't saying follow my religion. That means you'd be following Judaism because Christianity wasn't a thing yet. He said, follow me in the principles that are in my life. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the kicker, he said, you don't have to be a religious person or even a part of a religion to know who Jesus is. You can be an atheist and know God as long as you follow the path of Jesus. Y'all, the issue with that is everything he said is completely a joke. What's sad is, is people listen to that, though. 
What's sad is, is what do you mean? This guy, obviously, maybe he pulled verse 6 out at some point and used the old second opinions verse. I can do all things through a passage taken out of context, right? We've seen that with many verses. I don't think Jesus minces words whenever he says, there is one way and one way only. I am the gate. Not a gate. I am the gate. What is he saying? I am the only way to God. Enter by me, or you'll be eternally separated from God the Father. Y'all, we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful recognizing that false teaching has awful effects. For some people, is the difference between salvation and not salvation, if they listen to the wrong stuff. But for some people, even believers, it is doctrine is important. Theology is important. That's not too big of a word for the average person. Y'all hear me. Whenever you read the Bible, you're, really, you're reading a doctrine textbook, a theology textbook that teaches you about God and how it applies to you. And false teaching has awful effects on both our doctrine and our practice. I read about a story of a theologian named Stanley Harwas in an essay he wrote called Sin Sick. He gives this example, and I think it's very fitting. He says, can you imagine a pre-med student graduating and going to medical school who's in med school, they're in anatomy and physiology, and they're in the middle of the class, and they go up to the teacher afterwards, and they have some issues with the class. Later on, they go to their advisor, and they tell their advisor, look, I'm just really not into the whole anatomy and physiology thing. I'm into relating to people. You know, I'm into loving people and caring about people, so can I just skip that class and just focus on loving people? What would the advisor tell them? They would say, you could do that, but then you won't be a doctor, right? And for good reason. I don't think there's a person in this room who wants a relatable doctor who doesn't know how to actually serve you, right? Nobody wants a surgeon who's just so nice, but then you end up with a less finger than you did going in, and you were supposed to be having surgery on your knee, right? Like, nobody wants that person. But hear me, he talks about this, and he gets to the point, and he says, look, people take their doctor very seriously, Everybody in this room knows that's true. If you have a surgeon, you want to take it very seriously. But he said what's frustrating is bad teaching is more deadly than bad surgery, and often people don't pay more attention to that. Hear that again. Bad teaching is more deadly than bad surgery. What you hear or what's being taught to you matters. What you fill your mind with matters. Hear me. The world has a message for you, and it has all kinds of ways that it comes your way. What you listen to and follow matters. I want to tell you, even with my voice, y'all have been gracious to me since I've been here. Y'all have been encouraging to me since I've been here. But hear me, if you hear anything I say that doesn't jive with the word of God, I need to know and I will publicly apologize the next week if I am wrong. Because it's not my voice, it is his voice. That's what my whole job is. Literally, a pastor is called an under-shepherd. You know what that means? He's under the over-shepherd who's his authority, and the over-shepherd has already spoken, so I don't have to come up with new content. It's written in the front of my Bible, one of my favorite things I've ever heard from church history. Martin Luther, who's standing in front of the Catholic church at that point, who's condemning him as a heretic, ready to kill him. And they tell him, recant the belief that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Recant it, or we will kick you out or kill you. And he says, give me a day to pray. And he prays. He comes back the next day, and his response is simply this. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand, and I cannot do otherwise. Hear me, friends. That's what a sheep looks like. They say, I hear his voice, 
I don't listen to the voices around me. I test any other voice on the basis of God's word. Sheep listen to the shepherd's voice. It is what they do, which is why several chapters earlier, Jesus says to a group of people, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why is that so important? It's because sheep hear, they listen, and they follow. It's what they do. So I would ask you, do you listen and follow Jesus? Do you seek to hear from him through his word? You see, non-sheep don't listen. They don't care to know what he has to say. Or they care what he has to say only about certain things and not the things they want to continue doing in their own lifestyle. That's a non-sheep, my friends. You either want Jesus to have all of you and fall under his umbrella, or there's issues there. Let me explain it to you this way. Non-sheep often prefer to see Jesus as the door and not the shepherd. In other words, they liked the thought of Jesus being the door, the entryway into heaven, but not the idea of actually having to follow the shepherd. Hear me, friends. You don't get the choice. It is only by what the shepherd has done that you can have entrance into the gate. In other words, there are many people who would be content to say, I just want to know Jesus well enough as the door to be my Savior, to get to heaven, but I don't want to follow him as my Lord. You do not have that opportunity, friends. He is the gate. He is the, she- he is the shepherd. Sheep follow the shepherd. It is their desire to do so, and they do. The question is, do you? Do you? The last characteristic I would tell you of sheep, I think, needs to be said because of that point, that sheep follow the shepherd. And the third thing I want you to see, a characteristic of sheep, you see this in other parts of Scripture very clearly, and it's this, sheep call out to the shepherd. Sheep call out to the shepherd. The question is, do you? I think Dr. Stephen Smith makes a very good point. He's a pastor in Little Rock. Makes a very good point whenever he says this. I think that God chooses this metaphor not just because of who he is like, but because of who we are like as well. I'm sure many of you have heard the song where you start saying, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. The truth is this, is that sheep are prone to wonder. Sheep struggle. Sheep wonder. But hear me, they wonder differently than someone who isn't a sheep. Let me explain what I mean. Tim Challies, who's a pastor, author, and blogger, he writes about a story he heard a farmer share with a group of people one time. I don't know if it was during a sermon or a devotional or what. If it was a farmer day at the church and they let the farmer preach, I don't know. But the farmer begins to share this story. He says, one day I had one of my sheep and one of my pigs escape from my farm. It's like the great escape. I'd like to have seen that. It's kind of funny to think about. They found a weakness in the fence, in the gate, and it must have been the pig because pigs are a lot smarter than sheep are, or sheep are. And so they get out, and he says that whenever I finally realize that they're gone, I don't know how long they've been gone, so I go searching for them. Well, he searches all day. He says, I can't find the sheep or the pig. I don't know where they went. So finally, he goes back home because it's getting dark. He wakes up the next morning, and he goes back out and goes to find them. And he says, there's no tracks left, so he's searching all over. Finally, he hears something. And I'll tell you how he said. He said, it was in the afternoon on the second day that I began to hear a distant bleeding the sound of a sheep crying out. He then began to follow the sound. He says, I followed it, and it led me toward a nearby bog, a just wet and muddy ground. 
And it was there that I found my missing sheep and my missing pig. Apparently, both of them had wandered into the bog, which is muddy and gross, and they were stuck inside of there. They both were coated with muck and mire. Both were unable to scramble out. He said, but I saw a difference as I looked out there. I saw a pig wallowing in the mud, and I saw sheep crying out from the mud. Then he said this, if you were ever deceived into a sin and overtaken by a weakness, don't lose heart. Go at once to your compassionate shepherd. Hear me. Tell him in the simplest words the story of your fall, the sorrow you feel. Ask him to wash you at once and to restore your soul. For if a sheep and a pig fall into a ditch, the pig wallows in it, but the sheep bleats, bleats pathetically until he or she is cleansed by their master. And he ended his sermon by saying, friends, be a sheep, not a pig. Now, here's the point that I'm trying to make to you. It is a characteristic of sheep that when they wonder, they cry out to the shepherd. Friends, if you wonder and you live in your lifestyle of sin, you need to ask some heavy questions about yourself. Pigs wallow, sheep cry out. We see this from God's word very clearly. 1 John 3, 6. No one who abides in Christ keeps on sinning or makes a practice of sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Three verses later, verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. It's important to understand what he means by practice of sinning. No one can keep on sinning. No one can practice sinning. That doesn't mean that you don't sin. It means this. The word practicing there means no one who deliberately, knowingly, and habitually has sin in their life knows Jesus. In other words, no one continues in a lifestyle of sin and knows Jesus. In other words, whenever you sin as a sheep, you cry back out to him. You don't stay in it and wallow in it. In other words, friends, what happens when we sin says a lot about our heart. And what many people find is it takes actually getting out into the world to realize that they want to wallow in sin and to recognize that they're not a sheep. This is one of the reasons that we see, actually, Jesus himself in the parable of the sower talks about how one seed, it isn't until they get out into the world that the word is choked out of them. That the circumstances of the life, the cares of the world choke the word out of them. Why? Because they wallow. In it. They live for the world no longer following the shepherd. Indeed, for many of us, it takes getting out into the world and wallowing to realize we don't know the shepherd. So I ask you again, if you wonder, do you cry out to the shepherd? And friends, hear me, the longer you walk with the shepherd, the quicker you start to cry out. As this story aptly makes clear, sheep are utterly dependent on their shepherd. Sheep listen and they follow the shepherd. It is what they do. When they wonder, they cry out to him. And so I ask you the question again, do you smell like sheep? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves and test yourselves to see if you are of the faith. Friends, what are you called to examine yourself by? The characteristics of a believer. The New Testament's replete with examples of this is what a believer looks like. Go to Ephesians 4 and 5. You'll see them everywhere. Go to 1 John 5, 1 through 6. You'll see a comprehensive list of the three main characteristics every believer will possess. 
I'd ask you this morning, if you examine yourself, do you smell like sheep? With that backdrop, I ask you again, do you know the shepherd? John 10, 14, he says, I know my own and my own know me. This is a intimate knowledge. Friends, that's the question that changed my life. Do you know Jesus? If you stood in front of him today, would he be able to say, I know you? Do you just know about him or do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Dallas Willard, regarding this passage, he's a highly influential Bible philosopher, scholar, preacher, pastor. He said this, unfortunately, the Lord is my shepherd is one of the main phrases you see on people, as people's epitaphs on their tombstones. The unfortunate aspect of this is it's written on a lot more tombstones than it is lives. Is the Lord your shepherd? Do you know him? Enter through the gate and abide, which the shepherd is our call this morning. I ask if you would to bow your heads with me. Bow your heads. Now I want you just to think about yourself. Examine yourself. And as the band comes up and they begin to play, I want you to first think about how do you need to respond to the shepherd this morning? How do you need to respond? First, I would ask you, are you trusting the shepherd? Are you trusting the shepherd? Do you believe in him, not just by saying it, not just confessing it with your mouth? Does your life confess that? Are you trusting him by the way that you live? For some of you, maybe you are a sheep this morning and you realize there are areas where you are struggling here. Use this time to repent and say, God, I'm sorry I haven't trusted you in this. Secondly, I would ask you, are you following the shepherd? You see, many of us maybe are following certain aspects, but in other aspects of our life, we're living and doing what we want to do. We're wallowing in the mud, so to speak. For some of you this morning, you need to recognize today is your wake-up call to repent and cry out to Jesus. But for some of you this morning, you need to recognize your lifestyle is proclaiming that you may say you know Jesus whenever really you do not. And I would ask you this morning, what does your life say? Are you following the shepherd? The third question I would ask you this morning, if you are a sheep, maybe this morning you know there is habitual or regular sin in your life that you have not repented and turned from. Maybe you're remorseful over it, but you're not called to be remorseful. You're called to be broken, to recognize what Jesus did to pay for that sin and to turn from it. Maybe this morning you need to repent and cry out to God. Begin your action plan for defeating the sin that is overtaking you in your life. Maybe for some of you, you recognize the habitual sin in your life is telling you you don't know the shepherd. Which leads to the last question I would ask you again. Have you entered the gate? Do you know the shepherd? Not do you know about him. Do you know the shepherd? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you bear the characteristics of a sheep? If not, this morning, where you're at, if the Spirit's convicting your heart and telling you the truth 
of your condition, I would beg you, where you're at this morning, you can come to know Jesus. Cry out to him. Repent. Say, I don't want to do life my way anymore. I don't want to go my own path anymore. But Jesus, I repent and I believe in you and what you've done for me. And I want to surrender my life to you. As the band begins to sing, I just want to ask you, maybe this morning you need to come down and pray at the altar. Maybe you want to come and talk to me or talk to Braden, who'll be up here. Maybe you need to stand and you do need to worship, or maybe you just need to sit there and examine yourself some more. But whatever you need to do this morning, please do so at this time.